Reading Psalms 1 and 2 and the first two verses of Psalm 32. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, and the way of the wicked will perish. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my kings on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Thanks, Carolyn. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll take a bit of a closer look at those uh, passages. Gracious Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that it is your word, uh, inspired by your spirit, passed down these many years so that we might learn of you and grow to love you more. Please, by the same spirit that inspired these psalms to be written, uh, illumine our hearts so that we might cherish your word and your ways and your love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Christmas time and uh, the new year. I'm sure, generally, it's all about trying to get some happy in life, right? Particularly after this year, I'm sure uh, we just want to break, want some happy in the sad that a lot of this year has been. So not surprisingly, with the uh, holidays upon us and more time with family and friends, maybe with uh, the gifts that we got at Christmas uh, and uh, maybe you know, a few extra drinks and a bit of extra food than we normally allow ourselves, uh, and maybe a few extra indulgences on toys and home renovations, we might think we have got good reason to, to go there with these things, to, uh, to get a little bit of happy, more happy in our lives, suck the happy out of those things. Maybe just to cope with uh, all the sad that we've had. But here's the thing, and I'm sure you probably know, none of it lasts. None of that will last. Any happiness, any relief that we might get from holidays... Friends, family, gifts, drinks, toys, homemaking, it's all temporal. It's passing. 
uh, that classic song, uh, Satisfaction, by uh, the Rolling Stones, uh, is bang on as Mick Jagger uh, sings about all the stuff that people are trying to sell him uh, and the travel and the fame and the girls that this world promises, even though he tries and he tries and he tries, none of it lasts. He's on a losing streak because as he sings and what's the chorus, I can't get no satisfaction. And he's right. There's no lasting happiness in the things of this world. So how do we get happy and stay happy? What's the way to true happiness? Well, given that the whole book of Psalms uh, in the Bible starts in Psalm 1 with a happy man, with a happy person, and runs with the theme of happiness in a lot of the Psalms that follow, I thought it might be worth checking out the how, what and where of happiness God style there. So, that's where we're going today. We're going to be uh, looking at a few of the Psalms that we had read earlier to firstly see that true happiness is through forgiveness in Jesus' name, the Son of God. Uh, And as such, secondly, we should confess our sins. And then finally, uh, we should praise God. Okay, so first up. Psalms 1 and 2 show us that true happiness is through forgiveness in Jesus' name, the Son of God. Uh, As mentioned, Psalm 1 begins with a happy man. Uh, The word translated there in verse 1 as blessed, it's better translated as happy. Because it's the same word, Hebrew word, Asher, uh, it's the same word, that the Queen of Sheba uses to describe how Solomon, Solomon's men, must feel in his presence in 1 Kings 10.8. Uh, it's the word used to describe a man who's been given many children in Psalm 127 verse 5. It's the same uh, word used to describe those who enjoy the sweetness of revenge against an enemy in Psalm 137 verse 8. So it's not just... Uh, this word is not just an understanding, understanding some religious idea which the word blessed can suggest. It's knowing and feeling something. It's happiness. And so verse 1 of Psalm 1 reads then, happy, happy is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. The happy person then is the good person who steers clear of the influence of bad company. In particular here, the good Israelite, the one who loves God's law in the Old Testament. Uh, You see that in verse 2. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The The happy person then is the ideal Israelite, the one who loves God's law. That is what's called the Torah, which is kind of a catch-all term for the whole of the Old Testament. According to Psalm 1 then, the way to happiness, God style, uh, is to be a good law-abiding Jew. That's the way to be happy. Every other way to happiness is a lie and it'll disappoint us and ultimately bring us down. Which leaves us with a little bit of a problem. Because God's law firstly shows us how desperately bad we are. It shows us how little our minds delight in the things of God. It shows us how much we've actually walked and stood and sat in the seat of, in the way of the wicked. And not in the ways of God. Because nobody can keep God's law in the Old Testament perfectly. We all fail to love each other as we should, let alone God with our whole heart. That means we're lawbreakers. 
In terms of this psalm alone then, none of us are the righteous. We're the wicked. And we have no hope of true happiness, only of being blown away like chaff. In verse 4, like everything else in this life. But it's no accident that Psalm 1 is followed by Psalm 2, which goes on to say something else about the happy person. So you see verse 12 of Psalm 2, we read, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. And then note, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed there, it's the same word, same word of Psalm 1, verse 1. Happy. Happy. So, it is seen the happy person is the one who takes refuge in this son character of Psalm 2. The one in which God says his father is his father. God is his father. So we read that in verse 7. I will proclaim the decree of the law, uh, of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Now, uh, this is a quote from a promise that God made to King David about his descendants, that there'd always be a descendant of David ruling as king on the throne as God's son. And this psalm, is, this psalm then is saying that it's those who take refuge in this king, the king in the line of David, who look to him for guidance, help, protection and provision, serve him faithfully, that they're the ones that are happy. But we know that this son in the line of David is not any of the merely human descendants that follow after David. David himself knew the folly of taking refuge in a mere man, as Psalm 3 and many of the Psalms that follow uh, in the book of Psalms highlight. David knew only, his, our only true refuge and safe refuge is in God himself, which is, of course, the genius of great King David's greatest son, Jesus, as he's both God and man, the son of God in the line of David and God the son in the flesh. Psalm 2, then, it's, it's like a T-shirt that uh, it fits Jesus perfectly. As is Psalm 1, actually, because unlike anyone else, Jesus is the only truly righteous Israelite. As the Bible says elsewhere, he, Jesus, committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So unlike anyone else, he's truly righteous. And so according to Psalm 1, he's the righteous one. He deserves then to be blessed and happy. But instead, he swaps places with the cursed and the miserable as he suffers and dies on that cross under the judgment of God for the unrighteous. As the Bible says uh, elsewhere, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The blessing of Jesus' righteousness then comes to us as he bore the curse of the unrighteous in our place. And he did this as a king in David's line, the son of David, the son of God of Psalm 2. So Jesus is not only the righteous one, he's the Son of God, who indeed is God the Son, and so those who take refuge in Jesus, as Psalm 2 says, they're now the righteous of Psalm 1, to whom God promises happiness. You see that? I uh, I really like T-shirts with quirky things on them. I didn't wear one uh, this morning because someone told me it would be distracting. Uh, But one of my faves this year was a... uh, 
uh, a black T-shirt that just says the word pants on the front. I think it's ridiculous and funny. But it got faded and old and got out of circulation. And I, actually, I didn't know where it went. went for a walk. And then one day, I... Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> that was unintentional, so thank you for acknowledging. Uh, but then one day, I, uh, I saw it again. And it was, it was on my 12-year-old daughter. Yeah, she was wearing it as a pair of pyjamas. Uh, <laughs> I really liked seeing it on her. Uh, not only because it was more of a dress on her than a, uh, than a T-shirt, but it made me happy uh, that she was wearing something of mine and making it hers. And in the same way, Psalm 1 and 2 are like Jesus' T-shirts. They were made for him, they fit him perfectly. But as we take refuge in him and in his righteous life given for our unrighteous one, our sin is covered and then some in the big T-shirt of his forgiveness. <laughs> we're forgiven, we're set free. And we've got God's promised happiness. Because God promises us, us happiness through forgiveness in Jesus' name, the Son of God. Which brings us to the second point. Because if true happiness is through forgiveness in Jesus, then to be truly happy we should confess our sins. Which brings us to Psalm 32. Because the word translated uh, blessed again, or happy, is the next time it appears in the book of Psalms in Psalm 32. So in uh, verse 1, we read, Happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Happy is the one whose sin the Lord doesn't count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, in Psalm 32, uh, as you go on to read the rest of it, there, there are two parts of enjoying this happiness. The facts and the feelings. First, the facts of what God's done with sin for those taking refuge in Jesus. And then the feelings of relief and joy at knowing those facts. But to know and feel the happiness of this, the reality of God not counting your sins against you, seems to go along with, firstly, being honest with yourself, having no deceit, as uh, the psalm, the psalmist puts it. It seems you can't lie to yourself about your own sinfulness and enjoy lasting happiness. We need to admit to ourselves that at core we're br- terribly broken, that we're a sinner. And the bad things that we've done and said and thought, they're not firstly against people, they're against God and that we need to confess them then to God, which promises great relief, like it did for David when he wrote this psalm. So we read in verse 3, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. The phrase there, the guilt of my sin, it's literally uh, the sin of my sin. It's uh, like they're stacked on top of each other, weighing David down, weighing him down with guilt, and God's lifted that weight from him as he fessed up. Have you ever lied to someone? 
ever withheld the truth from someone and it's just burnt you up and you've just been weighed down by it like a heavy burden on your conscience. So much so, maybe it's kept you awake at night or given you a gut ache, worrying about it. Ever had that experience? Something like it? But then you finally fessed up and it's felt like coming out from under a heavy rock. I can remember the times I felt pretty guilty about some stuff that I'd done and upon confessing it to the people that I needed to, I felt literally like a weight lifted off me. Like I could take deeper breaths from then on. I was happy. Maybe you've had a similar experience. That feeling of a weight lifted as you fessed up. Well, David encourages all who are God's people, the godly, the righteous, in Christ, to find happiness there too. To find refuge from the rising waters of guilt while they still can by confessing their sins in prayer. Which he says in verse 6, Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. And here's the prayer that he's telling them to pray in verse 7. You, God, are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. It's interesting that in encouraging others to confess their sin, David doesn't see the relief in confessing itself, although there is that. No, David sees the true relief in God, in his forgiveness, that he's the one who lifts the guilt. He's the one who saves from the mighty waters of judgment and keeps those who take refuge in him, things that we know are freely given to us in Jesus. And so the encouragement here is to find relief and happiness, not in ourselves, not even in our confession, but in God. When I was uh, growing up, we had a, uh, a table tennis table under the carport, and many friends and uh, neighbours, they'd come around and play, and there was this one guy, uh, a neighbour, who would frequently yell at himself every time he made a mistake, calling himself a geek or an idiot. Maybe this is something that you do to yourself. Now, maybe just in your mind whenever you do something wrong. Gee, idiot, fool. Calling down on yourself every name under the sun. Like your failings and sins, going over and over those sins with God, berating yourself before him, expressing your sorrow to him as in such a persistent and self-deprecating way, trying to convince him and maybe yourself that you're so truly unhappy and regretful that you deserve to be forgiven. I've got a tendency towards this kind of self-flagellation, punishing myself in the hope of winning God's approval. But this isn't actually confession in Jesus' name. It's confession in, in my name, in our name. It's just another form of self-righteousness, right? Of relying on our own efforts to be right with God. It's not anything like a prayer of confession that David encourages here. We don't see David going over and over the wrong that he's done and berating himself for it. No, because his end goal is not himself and how bad he is, but God and how good he is. His prayer may have started with him in his sin, but it ends on God and on what he's done. It focuses on him as the one who has mercifully lifted the guilt, the one who's graciously the hiding place from the mighty waters of judgment the one who's freely given the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And what a relief that is. And God promises this happy relief 
to those who confess their sins. Remembering this, the freeness, the gift of God's forgiveness. But also by remembering the costliness of this forgiveness, of how deep and sacrificial God's love for us in Jesus is and how much it costs him to forgive us. Because this will drive us to confess our sins, not just because we've been caught out and because we're suffering painful consequences and we want the pain to end, uh, you know, like a horse or a mule that has to be controlled by a bit and bridle, as David says in verse 9. Uh, at the moment, our family, we can't take our dog off her leash uh, when we take her for a walk because she just won't listen to us. <coughs> She's got to be controlled by a few firm pulls on her lead or the lure of some treat to get away from you know, whatever it is, that roadkill or other dog's poo or um, you know, danger on the road or something. <laughs> but God doesn't want us to be like that. He doesn't want us to be like that when it comes to confessing controlled only by rewards and punishments. That's not where true happiness is found. He wants us to confess because we're grieved by the sin itself, because we understand what sin is in the eyes of God, because we know we're surrounded by the Lord's unfailing love, as David says in verse 10 of Psalm 32. And as those who trust in God's unfailing love, we understand then something of the infinite cost and depth of God's faithfulness as we see Jesus dying on that cross for us and in love for him, we'll confess because we're grieved to have grieved him and we want to please him above all else and we know that we can in Jesus. And it's in this that God promises happiness. The happiness of a deep love for God himself even upon confession. True happiness that comes through the free and costly forgiveness in Jesus' name, which is happily ours as we confess our sin in relief and in love. Which brings us to our third and final point. If true happiness is through forgiveness in Jesus, then to be truly happy, we should not only confess our sins, but we should praise God. Praise God for Jesus. And David, in Psalm 32, uh, sees this happening particularly in song. So in verse uh, 11 we read, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Uh, Knowing we're righteous, we're righteous by faith in Jesus, graciously forgiven all our sins by God, deeply and dearly loved by him, this is more than enough grounds to be happy and to express it. And music and song is a powerful gift from God that he's given to us to feel this happiness. A few years ago, now, family, we were driving somewhere on a holiday, I can't remember where, uh, and we were listening, though, to Ben Pakula's gospel rock opera album, Master Plan, which I can thoroughly recommend, uh, and we came to a song... Uh, in that album called Saved by the Blood of the Lamb. And uh, as it came to the end of the chorus, uh, Ben belts out one last time how we can be saved by the blood of the Lamb. And I think he goes up an octave or, or a key and it just, I was driving and it just kicked 
it hit me in the gut and I was so moved. I got choked up, my, my heart swelling at the immensity of God's love and for a moment I thought I'd have to pull over because um, <laughs> I couldn't see properly. <laughs> well, I wonder what, uh, what songs do you have on your playlist or on your mind that, you can, that can move you to praise God for his forgiveness in Jesus? What can you bring to mind? Uh, Lauren Daigle's Love Like This does it for me. Or Matt Maher's Lord I Need You. Or The Sing Team's Satisfied in You. Or Phil Wickham's Mercy. Or Brandon Lake's Just Like Heaven. They're just a few for me. At Don Telfer's memorial service this week, he requested a hymn ahead of time uh, that, for that service. That clearly moved him. It's the hymn, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling Me. And that song wonderfully moved many to reflect on more than just Don's passing, but on the Lord that loved him to death and beyond. So what song is in your heart? What song is on your playlist, in your head? What are you filling your head with song-wise? What can you play or bring to mind easily to move you to rejoice in Jesus? I know it's been hard during these COVID times not being able to sing in church. Accentuated again today. But when we can, and we will, We will again. Let's focus on the words being sung. Recall those happy times that we first believed or when we were moved by God's goodness to us and and heartily sang of it and then belted out for God's glory and our happiness. But when we can't do that at church, We can sing in our car, we can sing at home as we have opportunity. Let's stoke the flames of happiness in Jesus by praising God for him in song whenever and wherever we can. Because praising God for Jesus, particularly in song, is a God-given way to feel the true happiness of forgiveness in Jesus' name. William Farrell's uh, popular song, Happy, still get played around the about the place, uh, it's a couple of years old now, but it's a catchy tune, uh, catchy tune to the idea that happiness isn't wasting your time on bad news, but focusing on whatever makes you feel happy, which is actually pretty good advice if what makes you happy is God's forgiveness in Jesus' name rather than just happiness itself, which seems to be what uh, Farrell want, uh, is keen for people to know. He sings in the chorus, clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. The problem is there's nothing and no one in this life that will not let you down or pass away or decay on you. And so any happiness found in this life is inevitably short-lived and ultimately dissatisfying. The only truly lasting happiness is found in God and in his forgiveness in Jesus' name. So let's focus 
investing on that happiness by confessing our sins and praising God for Jesus. And I'm going to pray to that end now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you that in Jesus we are blessed. We have the promise of your happiness, of forgiveness, that he is the truly righteous one who suffered for the unrighteous, for us, so that as we take refuge in him, we might know your forgiveness, that we might be brought into your family and loved dearly by you. Father, please help us to cherish and fan and stoke this happiness by regularly confessing our sins to you. Doing it in relief, but in also love for you. And by praising you for Jesus at any and every available opportunity. Help us to invest in this happiness and know the satisfaction of it lasting forever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.